So we're in week two of our three-week series we're calling Literally Taking God at His Word. And last week we learned that the Bible is knowable because God's desire is to be known. And this week we're looking at the question, is the Bible really necessary in our daily lives? And before we begin, I have a confession. It's not anything really exciting, but um, I haven't been a Christian my whole life. I actually haven't been a Christian for the majority of my life. Only since 2001 have I been following Christ. And, and like many of you, before that time, before 2001, I spent my life chasing after stuff. I spent my life chasing after uh, relationships, looking for happiness, or I chased success, looking for happiness, or I chased money so I could buy stuff that would make me happy. Um, as a matter of fact, little known fact about me, at age 19, I won a contest online and won $50,000 in the contest, which is about the last thing that a 19-year-old kid with no sense in his head needs $50,000, right? And so um, I didn't know anything about the Bible. I was, again, a non-believer, and the only thing I knew was John 3.16, because I went to a lot of sporting events, and there were people with signs, and you know, I was like, okay, I've heard that verse a couple times. And there's actually this verse in Proverbs that I wish I would have known, because uh, it probably would have served me pretty well in that time, and it says this, whoever loves pleasure will become poor. Those who love wine and olive oil will never be rich. And I didn't know that, and so... Cases and cases of olive oil later, that $50,000, <laughs> he gone, you know? And uh, the truth is, I could have used it last weekend. It was our daughter's fourth birthday, and we took her to Build-A-Bear out at Crabtree Valley Mall. And you're laughing because you know where this is going. Um, we pick an animal for her. She picks this lamb, this stuffed lamb that costs more than a real lamb would have cost me. Like a, real, like, like a real lamb I could have bought for less than this stuffed animal, and I could have at least gotten some dinners out of it somewhere down the line, but anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. And in 2000, I met a girl named Holland, and uh, we were working together, and um, she was a Christian, I was not, and I was really interested in her, and we started dating, and I tried to to do the things that I thought Christian girls wanted to do. So I went to, to church with her at a church down the street. We don't talk about that. But it was a church right down the street. And uh, went there, and it became really clear to her that I was not going to be the guy that she needed. And so she broke up with me that summer. And as God would have it, the summer of 2001 was a summer where a friend of mine, a guy that I knew growing up, died in a uh, car accident, a single car accident, this 19-year-old kid and I went to this funeral at White Plains United Methodist Church here in Cary, and the pastor there, Pastor Mike Lee, presented the gospel in such a way that I had never heard before. He said this guy who had died had finally found fulfillment in the stuff that he had been chasing, never met it, but ultimately he had found fulfillment, and I had seen it in this guy's life recently. And so the following week, I went with a friend of mine that had been praying for me. I didn't know that at the time. And I prayed with him to receive Christ. And the first thing he told me is, all right, here's the deal. You need to get a Bible, and you need to start reading it. And you need to start in Acts, and then loop back through. He said, don't start in Genesis, because if you start in Genesis, you're quickly going to get to Leviticus. And before you know it, like, you're like, what's unclean? And like, oh, there's all these sacrifices, and what day is it? And what am I supposed to do today? And he said, don't do it. It's like a biblical rope-a-dope. Like, you'll just think you're into something, and then, and you know what I'm talking about. You people that try to, like, start New Year's resolution, I'm going to read the Bible. Don't start in Genesis. Whatever you do, you're not going to make it. And so maybe you're here, and you're thinking, well, yeah, sure. As a new believer, you need the Bible, because you don't know anything. But I've been, 
I've been in church forever, right? I've read the Bible, or at least parts of it, or I've been at Hope for a long time, and Mike's probably covered everything in there, so I have a gist of what the thing's about. So do I really need the Bible? Is it really necessary? It's a fascinating question, isn't it? In this day and age, with all this information that we have available to us, is a book that is thousands of years old really necessary in our daily lives? I mean, you can go on to Google right now, and you can find out information about almost anything. You can say, you know, how do I change the oil in my car? And there's probably a YouTube video on how to do it. How do I decorate my house? Well, that's what Pinterest is for, right? And, you know, how, do I, how much money do I need? A little bit more, right, if you ask John Rockefeller. Or the eternal uh, question, is Lady Gaga a man? Like, do we, do we really know that? That's what Google's for. We can do all this information. I mean, we have at our disposal millions of people's worth of information through Wikipedia. If you're under the age of 25, we used to have books that we kept in libraries that had like A and B and C and D. And if you wanted information about a topic, you had to go to the library and take out these books. We called them encyclopedias. And you had to look them up. And they were good for, you know, about six months. And then they came out with a new version you had to buy. It was painful. We're in a better place now with that. But given all of this information, is the Bible really necessary? And if you're honest, you might be sitting here this weekend thinking, no. And my hope is that when we leave here today, that you will have a better understanding, no matter what brought you in. Maybe you're a Christian and you've been coming here for 20 years, or maybe you're a non-believer and you just are trying to chase a girl or a guy and they said, you need to come to church with me and so you're here, or your neighbors asked you 100 times. Whatever the reason, whatever brought you in the door, my hope is that when we leave here today, that we have a clear understanding of why we as Christians believe that the Bible is necessary not just for Christians, but for everybody. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to be all over the place. I would mark the table of contents because I'm going to kind of bounce around. The easiest way to follow along is if you have a smartphone, download our Get Hope app, and we have a message notes section. looks like that, and it has all the verses that I'm going to be going through, and you can click on them. It'll go right there. And at the bottom, it has an area where you can take notes and send them to yourself. So as, as I say stuff that is unbelievably profound and you feel like you need to write it down, then you can send it to yourself. Or if you just remember that you need to pick up bread on the way home. I will not know what you do with the app. Have at it. But do that, that's free, it's going to be easy. Or as always, if you don't have a Bible, you don't have a smartphone, then you can follow along on the side screens. And we're going to talk uh, primarily today from a verse that's from a guy named Paul. And Paul is, is, Paul and I are almost exactly the same in that we both became Christians late in life. Paul and I were like this, I'm over here, this is Paul and Jesus, they're real tight. But um, Paul is writing to this church in Rome at around 56 AD. This guy went on to write like a ton of the New Testament. I mean, he's, he's, he's a baller. But um, he writes to this church. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, the verb Paul uses for conform here is in the passive tense. What he is saying is don't allow the world to conform you. Don't be conformed by the world. He's saying, don't, you see what everybody else is doing? Don't do what everybody else is doing. You see how people are living their lives and getting results that are not good? If you live your lives the same way, you are gonna get those same results. If you parent the same way, you are gonna get those results. What he is saying is he's saying, don't be this guy, right? Don't just be a copy of everybody else, like boom and boom and boom. And he's saying, don't be a copy, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. And the truth is, we live in a world that demands us to conform, doesn't it? And it's politically correct, you need to 
not offend anybody world, you are demanded to conform. And we have these unwritten rules in our society, rules like you can't really argue with success. I mean, whatever it takes to be successful. If you have to take a bunch of free agents and stack them on one NBA team so that you can win two championships out of four years, you can't argue with that, right? Or to each his own. Just everybody live the way you want to live as long as you don't offend anybody else. Just keep your business to yourself. Or my favorite, this idea of, you know, shop till you drop. Retail therapy, we call it in America. I mean, we get the Groupons and we're like, honey, there's a Groupon on olive oil. Let's get it. Wait, don't do that. There's a Bible verse about that. And so we live these ways where we think we're, being, uh, we're allowing the world to conform us. And Paul is saying, don't do that. Instead, he says, be transformed. And the word he uses is the word metamorphe. It's where we get our word metamorphosis from. It literally means to transform from one form to another. It's this idea of over time changing. And so he's saying, don't be conformed. Don't be that guy. He's saying, be this guy. <laughs> right? And if Paul were here, he would say, yeah, that was kind of what I was saying. But it's really more bold than that. He's saying, you know, don't, don't be this little guy, right? Don't be, don't be conformed. He's saying, be this guy. <laughs> Come on now. Optimus Prime, that's the word in the Greek that he used. Um, <laughs> and he's saying, you know, who wants, don't be this guy, be this guy. And, and you're sitting here and you're going, who wants to be, you know, the conformed guy? You want to be Optimus Prime. I mean, everybody wants to be that, right? Great, let's pray. We'll get out of here. No, I'm just kidding. It's, it's, we all say that we want to do that, but then we go, well, how does that happen? And Paul gives us the answer in that verse. He says, don't be conformed by this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. And Paul is using this expression, and it, it's this idea of erasing all of the software on your computer and reloading something else, something different. And to Paul, the idea is the software is the Bible. He's saying that you have an active role to play in the transformation process. We have active roles to be students, readers of the Bible, and then in turn, God plays an active role in the transformation by using what we're reading to transform us from the inside out. See, Paul knows that to be transformed, you have to be informed. Why don't you say that with me? To be transformed, you have to be informed. And he knows that the only place that you can get the information you need is from God himself because Paul knows that the Bible is necessary because nobody knows God better than God. I mean, if you go to Ikea today and you go and you pick up a piece of furniture and you, you know, it's a piece of furniture this big and it comes in a box this big with all these parts and you take it home, you're not just gonna start putting it together and you're not just gonna ask somebody, what do you think about me putting this together? You're gonna read the manual or else. Like two years ago, I, I bought a bunk bed for my oldest son, and I'm putting it together without the manual, because that's the kind of guy I am, and um, I'm up there, and I'm putting this bed together, and I don't know how it happened. I finished, and the top bunk was completely inverted, so the mattress would have had to, like, levitate, and my son would have had to sleep like Spider-Man. It would have been really cool if he could have done it, but it was not the way that Ikea intended it to be put together, so I had to take it apart, pull out the manual, you know, with the little faces saying, call Ikea if you get lost, and, you know, put it back together. Ikea knows Ikea best, right? And in the same way, God knows God best. And so we, we hear that and we go, okay, so Paul wants us, says that we should be transformed, but transformed into what? I mean, I, I, what, are you, what are you trying to transform me into? 
And he gives us the answer in another letter he wrote to a church in Corinth. I told you he's a big-time guy. He said, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed, here's the answer, into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. His image means the image of Christ. And so Paul is saying, in order to be transformed into the image of Christ, you have to be informed by God's Word. And so we hear that and we go, yeah, yeah, I'm in. I want to do that. And what do we do? We try to be transformed. We go, I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be kind. And if you do those things, if you try those things without training yourself by being informed in God's word, then all you're relying on is your self-control. And that's a finite resource. And so you'll be good for a day and then you'll run out because you're running on your own fumes. And it just doesn't last. And so Paul's reminding us we need to be informed by God's word. It's why there's a difference between training and trying It's why Holland knew back in that summer that I was never going to be the man that she deserved as long as I was being conformed by the world. Matter of fact, she knew that until I allowed God to begin to transform me through his word, I was never going to be the person that she deserved as a husband, that my kids would deserve as a father. And we we hear that and we go, yeah, but the Bible. I mean, does anybody take that thing seriously, really? Jesus took it seriously. He quoted scripture, the Old Testament, 79 times. He quoted 15 books from the Old Testament. I mean, he quoted stuff that if we're honest, a lot of times we treat the Bible like the, um, the software agreement online where we just kind of scroll through and then go, I agree with whatever it says, like you don't read it. Jesus said, no, 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 I agree. He actually said, like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so will the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth for three days. And he didn't say it like, you remember that story, that fable that's not real? He said, you remember that thing that happened? That's gonna happen again. He didn't even bat an eye. He took it seriously. And because Jesus took the scripture seriously, we should take the scripture seriously. And if you're a Christian, that should ring true to you. You can't call yourself a Christ follower if you don't follow in the very basic premise that he took God's word Seriously, and maybe that's all you're here for this weekend is to hear those words, is to be reminded that he took the scriptures seriously. So we're left with a question that comes off of last week's lesson where it says, you know, the Bible's knowable because God's desire is to be known. The question becomes, what does he want us to know? Well, I think he wants us to know three things. First, I think he wants us to know who he is. See, he wants us to know through his word about his love, his grace, his mercy, his justice. Everything that we can know about him, he wants us to know. It's like putting his, all his information on the online dating site and just putting it out there for anybody and saying, this is who I am. It's why series like the one that we just finished, Epic Stories of the Bible, are so valuable because the same God that was with David and Abraham and Moses and Esther is with us. He's eternal and he doesn't change. So when we see things about his character in the Bible, We know that it's true today, and it describes him. See, the truth is you can go out, and you can sit under a clear night and look at stars, or you could go to the Grand Canyon, or you could go to any of a number of beautiful, amazing places and look at creation and know that there is a God. 
but you need the Bible to tell you who he is. Second, we need the Bible to tell us who we are. Very early on in scripture, it tells us who we are. In Genesis 1.27, it says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. See, the truth is you were created in the image of a creative God. So when you have those moments in your life, maybe you're a teacher or a doctor or a stay-at-home mom or a mechanic or whatever it is that you do, those moments where you just feel alive, where you feel like, I, was ma- I feel like I was made for this. You were. You were made for this by God, and you need the Bible to remind you of that, to tell you of that. You need the Bible to tell you why you have the desires you have. See, the truth is we all have desires. We want to have purpose. We want to know that we're okay. We want to know that we belong to something bigger than ourselves. We want to be known by someone bigger than ourselves. We want to live forever. And if you dig into those desires real deeply, you realize that there's something underlying there. There's some kind of need for fulfillment. See, the truth is Adam, Adam and Eve, Adam, Adam broke something in us. He created a vacuum, a longing that we have in our very, the depths of our soul. And the Bible is necessary for us to know what that longing is. It says, Jesus says this in Matthew 6. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He's just described in the verses ahead about the birds of the field and the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, how they don't worry about where they eat and drink and how they get clothed, and he's saying, don't worry about this stuff either. Focus on God and his righteousness and all the rest of this stuff will take care of itself. And we get that backwards, don't we? We reverse those things. We chase stuff that is never gonna lead to fulfillment. I remember when I started reading my Bible, when I first became a Christian, it was like reading the manual to a car that I had been driving backwards my whole life. I'm reading all of these, these verses, and before, if I'm honest, before I knew about Christ, before I knew about God, I, I heard verses like, you know, don't engage in these kind of relationships and don't do this and don't do that. And I heard a list of prohibitions. Don't do it. And I thought, God, you're a real killjoy here. Like, I'm trying to have fun and live a happy life. And as I dig in his word and as I'm living my life and looking at my past, I go, oh, these weren't prohibitions. They were warnings. They were the train track arms coming down going, don't go there because there's consequences. There's real damage to who you are. And I deal with stuff today of times that I drove straight through those crossing arms or straight through those stop signs that I didn't know about. And I live with those consequences because the truth is just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, I can engage in this relationship outside of marriage, or I can try to chase this stuff. Yeah, you can. Doesn't mean you should. Are you chasing something today that is not going to lead to fulfillment? We, know, we need the Bible to remind us why we were created. We were created to be in a relationship with God and with healthy relationship with one another. So he wants us to know who he is, he wants us to know who we are, and most important, he wants us to know how much he loves us. The Bible is necessary for us to know that. 
So you don't have to look any further than that famous verse, John 3.16, for us to see the price that he is willing to pay for us, his greatest creation. It says, for God so loved the world, not a qualified part of the world, not people that shop at a certain store, the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, again, no qualifying, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The Bible is necessary for us to know that, that he made a way, he has a plan to reconcile and to restore what Adam broke. And the truth is, when we don't know that, when we don't know that truth, then we start trying to earn it. We start trying to earn good graces with God. We start trying to, I'm going to be a good person, and I'm just going to just live my life and be good, and I'm going to avoid the big ten, right, and not do those things, and I'm going to earn it. And when we do that, we boil God down to the same kind of God that the pagans were worshiping in Jesus' time, the ones that were worshiping Zeus and Aphrodite and they, these made-up gods that they just did anything they could to try to appease them. When we don't know that God has already been appeased through the blood of his son on a cross, we try to earn something that we can never earn. And we need the Bible. The Bible is necessary for us to know who he is because if we don't know who he is, when somebody tells us that he's already made a way, we don't believe him because we think, if I was God and I created something and they walked away from me, I would make them do something before they could come back to me and before I would forgive them. But when we know who God is through his word, then we know he has grace and mercy and justice all at once. And so when he says he made a way, then he made a way. And when we hear that message that God has made a way for us back and we don't know who we are through God's word, we go back to what? What's wrong with us? There's nothing wrong with us because we don't know that we are broken, that we have sin, that we have chains around us, that we are slaves to stuff that we have no idea, burdens that we carry that we have carried since the day we were born, chains that we have carried that have just gotten bigger as we've gotten older and we haven't felt the weight of them. I heard it explained this one time that sin is like a 500-pound weight on a person's chest. If you put that weight on a dead person's chest, they don't feel it. They don't say a thing. But you put it on a living person, and they will cry out with every ounce of their being, help me, help me, I can't lift this off myself. And the truth is, before our relationship with Christ, we're all dead men and women walking, carrying this weight that we were never intended to carry carrying these burdens that we were never intended to carry. It's why it makes no sense for us as a church, for us as Christians, to go out and start beating on people for the sin in their life that they don't even know they carry. It doesn't make any sense. Instead, we should cry out over our own sin. We should celebrate when God is doing a restoring work in us. We should share that with the world. Imagine if we had Christian marriages where love and respect were the cornerstone and the divorce rate was almost nothing. If we had Christian parents who had healthy relationships with their kids, even when they were teenagers, can you imagine what that would mean to the world? To a person, people would go, who is this Jesus and how can I know him? See, for far too long, the church has been known for what it is against it's time that we're known what we're for. We are for loving people where they are, wherever that is in life, and restoring them back to their 
rightful place, which is at the foot of their heavenly father, reminding people that they are the son and the daughter of the king so that they can be reminded of the life that they were intended to live, not a life of conforming, but a life of transformation. That's a message worth carrying. That's a message worth writing down somewhere. Oh, wait, God already did that, right? I mean, do you know why we need the Bible? Because we forget the stuff that we should remember, and we remember the stuff we should forget. I mean, if we're honest, I could ask you, what's that big regret in your life? And you could, with vivid clarity, recount every last detail of it, couldn't you? But the things that we should remember, who God is, who we are, how much he loves us, we just forget those things. And so we need it written down so that we can be reminded constantly of those truths as we navigate our daily lives. So I think when Adam, when the whole fiasco in the garden happened, um, you know, God said, Adam, I just need you to do this one thing. And he didn't do it. He said, all right, we're going to have to start writing some things down because you're clearly not getting this. And so he said, I'm just going to have it written down all in one place so that we can access it. So that for once and for all, you can know who I am, who you are, that you're not prideful because you think you're more than you are, or you're not beating yourself up thinking you are worthless, but that you are reminded that your worth comes in the price of my son. That's where your worth comes. I need that written down, and I need it crystal clear the way back to me, and crystal clear the way that you can live a life of fulfillment. He wants us to chase the stuff that matters, chase him and his righteousness so that we can have moments of joy, not happiness, joy, so that we can have moments like this. Check out the side screens. Uh, currently stationed in uh, Bagram, Afghanistan. Been gone for six months and I have six more months to go. It meant a lot to me to have him here for Emma's baptism because, you know, he's a vital part of the kid's spiritual growth and to miss a major milestone in her life of having a public profession of, of her commitment to Jesus. For him to be there for that means the world to me. I barely ever get to see him, so it's hard. As Emma grows in her, her understanding of Christ and her relationship with God, it's very important to me. I decided to get baptized because I just felt like now is the time to get baptized because I've asked Jesus into my heart and I just thought it was the right time. greatest joys we get around here at Hope is getting to celebrate a changed life. And if I'm honest, I get jealous when I see kids getting baptized because I didn't experience that. And my hope is that as we baptize kids and teens and adults, that they would get in God's word and they would avoid some of the things that I didn't avoid. They would be informed so that they could be transformed 
and avoid a lot of the heartaches and consequences that we all deal with. And it's exciting to think about what that young life is gonna mean in the future as she gets in God's word and God can transform her into the person that he called her to be. So having said all this this weekend, here's what I want you to do. First, I want you to get a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, if you have a smartphone, go ahead and download the app. Download any Bible app. They're gonna be free. The Get Hope app's gonna be the easiest one to use. The good thing about having a smartphone, I know a lot of you are like, oh, I don't like having my Bible on a smartphone. I can carry my phone, and I do carry my phone. A lot of places I don't carry my Bible, and I'm a pastor. Like, I don't carry my Bible to the doctor's office. I don't carry my Bible to the mechanic. I don't, but I, I do carry my phone, and it allows me to read Scripture anywhere I go. But if you don't have a Bible and you don't have a smartphone, we have Bibles available for you for free here this weekend. So we don't want to make, uh, have you have any excuse why you don't have a Bible? It's that important to us. It doesn't feel right for us to say, hey, you should be in God's word. Go figure that out on your own. We want to provide them for you. Second, I want you to start reading today. I know diets start on Monday. Like that's like the normal thing. Like, well, we can't start until tomorrow. Like Sunday's not a day. And that breaking the Sabbath or no, it's no. You can read the Bible. So start Today, carve out time. Some of you, the key word is carve because it's gonna feel painful, right? But carve out some time to just start reading. If you don't know where to begin, you can begin, like Jason said, start in John. You can start where I started in Acts and loop back through. Uh, a guy told me last night he reads Proverbs every day of the month and then he'll read something else. There's 31 Proverbs, you can read one for every day. And just start somewhere. If you have young kids, you're welcome that I'm telling you you need peace and quiet time away from them and just go, hey, I need to go spend time in God's word. And the cool thing about that is that you're teaching your kids that that's important. So do that. Make that a priority. Third, write down whatever. I know that's really spiritual. So um, what I mean by that is a lot of people call it journaling. I call it literally writing down whatever because what I do is I remove the filter that exists in our minds between what we think and what we say I remove that filter and I just write down whatever comes to my mind. So as I'm reading, I write down whatever questions come to my mind. I write down whatever God is telling me, whatever I'm being challenged in, even the stuff that has nothing to do with what I'm reading. Sometimes I'm reading and God's like, hey, you need to go do this over here. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm, you know, I'm reading over here. I need you to focus over here, God. So don't do that. Like Write down whatever it is that he's calling you to do. Write it down. If you have questions, write them down. If you're in a small group, that's a great place to start asking those questions. It should be a regular conversation in our small groups. What are you reading? What are you learning about in the Bible? Which leads me to my fourth point, get in a small group. If you're not in a small group, you should be in a small group. There's a statistic out there that says if you tell people that you're gonna go on a diet, the more people you tell, like you're in, your likelihood of being successful in the diet goes up by like 82.5%. The number's made up, I just completely made that up. But the true, it's true. Like if you tell everybody on Facebook that hey, I'm gonna go on a diet, you're gonna get a ton of questions over the next, like, how's the diet going? How? And when you quit, like, day one, you're gonna, oh, I gotta be off Facebook now. Like, just be part of a small group. It's gonna be the best place you can be encouraged that people can come alongside you. And so that just needs to be something that we do. In summary, there's this, this awesome summary for this whole idea that comes from an unlikely source in the Bible. And uh, I'll set this story up for you. So um, Jesus has just fed 5,000 plus people with fishes and loaves, and um, he just walked over across water, like back to back he did these things, and there's a big group of people that are trying to find him, and they finally track him down, and they're like, hey, Jesus, we were looking for you, and he said, calls him out, he said, I know why you're looking for me, 
because you're looking for food. And they're like, no, no, we're just looking to see what, to do the, the stuff of God. And so Jesus says, all right. And so he tells them in John 6, he says, Jesus answers, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. So he tells them, here's what you need to do. You just need to believe in the one who he has sent. And I love the Bible. The more you read it, the more I just, my sense of humor, just, I just love it. So he, the people say, the very next thing they say is, okay, why don't you show us a sign that you're the one that he sent? A sign like feeding 5,000 plus people with fish and loaves? Is that kind of sign you're looking for? Or like the walking on water? Is that the kind of sign that you're looking for? And he goes, no, you don't get it. He says, I'm the bread of life. And then they start getting weirded out because they know about Moses and the bread that God provided. And, and so he's like, are they saying, are you trying to say we need to eat you? And he said, yeah. And it becomes this whole weird thing. And um, eventually they just turn and they leave. They're like, okay, we have to leave. And Jesus turns to his 12, his boys, right? He turns and he says, what about you guys? Y'all gonna leave me too? And Peter, the same Peter that would deny Jesus three times before the rooster crowed, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It's like Peter's brightest moment in his whole life that he finally gets it. Like, oh man, where are we gonna go? You have the words of eternal life. And I pray that that's our thought as we leave here today, that that's on our lips, that we're just thinking, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, God gave us the words of eternal life. They're in this book. And he gave us everything that we need to stop being conformed and being transformed. It's in the book. And if we're going to get there, we're going to need his word. Are you brave enough this weekend to take God at his word? Can I pray for us? Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, you tell us that all scripture is God-breathed and is good for challenging, for training, for teaching, for learning, for rebuking us at times. And Father, we know that your word is necessary in our lives, Father, because we will forget the stuff that you want to remind us of. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us a steadfast hunger for things of you. That, God, we would have a desire for learning your word, that we could become informed, that we may allow you to transform us, Father. We know that under our own power and under our own attempts, we will fall short. But we know with you and your word as our guide that we will achieve, we will be part of that life that you called us to, that life of great joy and fulfillment, life to the full as you describe it. And Father, we're thankful for your word that it tells us that you have already made a way. And as we sit here this weekend, a bunch of broken, jacked up people, God, you already made a way. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. There's nothing that we can do to get in your good graces because by the blood of your son on a cross, we're already there if we accept it, if we believe in the one that you have sent. And so Father, we are thankful for that this weekend. We're thankful for the blessings that you've given us, but we're thankful most of all for your son, Jesus, that allows us to be reconciled back to our heavenly father. It reminds us that we are the son and the daughter of a king. 
We pray all these things in your son's perfect and holy name. Amen.